0: PodCastle, episode number 72, for September 29th, 2009, The Exit Sign, by Ursula Flug.
1: Welcome to PodCastle. I'm M.K. Hobson, and today's story is Exit Sign, by Ursula Pflug. This story is a pretty unique animal. I think I'd call it a surrealist romance. Now, I'm a big fan, both of surrealism and romance, but I'm also a big fan of sushi and hot fudge, and I would have sworn that putting the two of them together was an enterprise-doomed to failure. However, my husband Dan reminds me that surrealism and romance are not so antithetical as surrealism is what brought the two of us together to our present state of sanctified connubial bliss. The day I met him, I was at Portland's Café Omega, reading a copy of the collected works of seminal surrealist Antonin Artaud. Dan found my choice of reading material intriguing, and used it as an in to strike up a conversation. The thing is, at the time, I was mostly reading Antonin and because I liked the song on Bauhaus' album Burning From the Inside. I mean, it wasn't my favorite song. I liked Slice of Life better, but to get to it, you had to fast-forward past that sappy who-killed-Mr. Moonlight crap, and this was in the days before CDs, so fast-forward meant holding down the button on your boombox and listening to Peter Murphy wibbling along at 500 miles an hour, setting your teeth on edge and making your eyes water so your black eyeliner starts running all down your face and it was hell, honestly. So, anyway, hubby to be starts asking me questions about Antonin Artaud and what the hell do I know about Antonin Artaud other than the book is boring and I'd rather be listening to Bauhaus. So, I quickly changed the subject to chess and tree planting and then we went and had drinks on top of the U.S. Bank Tower, which is the tallest building in Portland and is also pink, and later we cooked a turkey. All of which definitely says something about surrealism, but I'm not quite sure it has anything to do with Antonin Artaud. The author of today's story, Ursula Flug, is an award-winning writer of literary and genre short fiction, publishing frequently in Canada, the US, and the UK. Born in Tunisia in 1958, she grew up in Toronto and traveled widely to Germany, France, Italy, Tunisia, and throughout Canada and the United States. She has lived in New York City and in Hawaii. She was a contributing editor at the Peterborough Review for three years and continues to write art and book reviews and criticism for diverse markets. Her magic realist novel, Green Music, was published in 2002 by Tesseract Books. Formerly a graphic designer in Toronto, she has been living in the rural Kawarthas in South Central Ontario with her husband Doug Back and their two children for 16 years. The story is read by Christiana Ellis. Christiana does a daily minicast of serene surrealism called Shallow Thoughts, which you can find at shallowthoughts.libsyn.com. Her comedic fantasy podcast novel, Nina Kimberly the Merciless, was nominated for a 2006 Parsec Award and a Podcast Peer Award. The print version is coming out from Dragon Moon Press in 2009, And you can learn more at the novel's website, www.ninakimberly.com. Enjoy the story.
2: The Exit Sign by Ursula Flug People were supposed to carry things up and down the stairs, but mostly things were thrown. There were people trapped on each floor of the building, legless people wrapped in old, unwashed sleeping bags and cardboard, or fine-feathered duvets and flowered pillowcases. Each floor was as large as a small country, and each floor's culture had evolved in a slightly different way. Because people had no legs and were unable to meet face-to-face, to communicate, tribal warfare ensued. Hand grenades were thrown up and down stairs. Of course, you lived on a different floor than me, but still we tried to be together, crawling on stumps to meet on landings. It had been an arranged marriage. Our grandmothers had been friends, the first friends, shouting at one another, sending paper airplanes with messages written on them up and down stairwells. Guggenheim stairwells, Vertigo stairwells. My grandmother wrote on lavender-perfumed stationery in tiny, perfect European script. Your grandmother scribbled hastily on pages torn from Hustler. They flew very well. I'm amazed my grandmother read them, not as instruments of war, but weapons of peace. Perhaps the sorrow in the women's eyes reflected her own, too clearly for her not to understand the message. "'How will we ever get out of this house,' your grandmother wrote, "'unless we work together, this house that is like a jail, "'where we've lived and bred for generations since the beginning.' "'Amazingly, my grandmother didn't take it for a trap, "'believed the sentiments.' No one had ever done that before. Secretly, everyone wants to leave. See what's outside, she replied. Your grandmother wrote back, there must be another life than this one. By the way, what's it like upstairs? Not everything they say can be true. My grandmother wrote, on our floor, which, as you know, is not quite at the top, Most people claim everything is fine, that their lives are so much better than those of people on the floors below. Although, of course, never having been there, they cannot know this for a fact. Still, holding tightly to our place in the hierarchy, we worship the almost legendary top-floor people. They embody light and airiness, after all. We've heard that, too, your grandmother wrote. But we don't believe it. And what's the use of light and air? Down near the sub-basement, we're solid and secure, protected by the enclosing earth. It's those in the in-between layers who are the most nervous and anxiety-ridden, without a clear position, always wondering where they stand. Or rather, crawl, Granny wrote, and the women joined in written laughter. You and I were different, making love on the sprawled landings. We learned that one way of life wasn't better than another, and that we all shared the same ultimate misery, doomed to be born and die in this building. Who'd made this place? Had we built it ourselves generations ago when we still had legs to run from something fierce and predatory that circled our tower waiting for travelers, the jumpers, the flyers, those with the twisted bedsheet ropes. No one ever came back up those ropes to tell. We tried to share this knowledge but were laughed at. The security of tribalism seemed worth the violence and cruelty, the isolation it engendered. No one from our floors had ever been married before. And while we'd hated one another at first, we'd come to take solace in our difference. We watched the marriages of our friends grow stale with years, for they were cut from the same cloth, sharing the same habits and values. My dinner-party people loved good wine and music, linen tablecloths and pressed napkins— Four course meals and conversations about art, novels, history. We hid our personal pain from one another, terrified we'd be unloved, ostracized if we exposed our vulnerability. But I could see it. My mother's eyes were full of sadness as she polished her heavy silver, as she filled the green glasses catching reflected light from mirrors so many mirrors, as though windows could be imagined even if they'd never been seen. We played classical piano. Our mouths twitched. We were snippy and full of petty jealousies even when we discussed Joyce or Diaghilev or Bach, always competing over who knew more, who could play better. It was you, who showed me that my people only pretended to be high-minded, that invisible knives were being thrown constantly. After all, we had invented the round-ended dinner knife. If we'd kept two little rapiers, so much better for cutting meat after all, we'd all be dead by now. And I'd never have been born We congratulated ourselves on our proximity to the angels, for some stories told that the top floor people didn't jump, but flew, could leave and return through real windows and not just mirrors masquerading as such, mirrors that pretended to let in light and air, but really just endlessly reflected our pain, passing it back and forth from one to another like small hot rocks, as though in and out of the skins of our bellies. Of course, there were those of us who, instead of passing misery, fear, and hatred, demurely yet viciously fashioned the excess into bombs, grenades to be hurled down stairwells. Everyone politely looked politely the other way when this happened. And why wouldn't they? Loyalty to the tribe, less bottomless despair to go around. A bottomless pit of despair, the pit you lived at the bottom of. On the top floor, angels tied to pillars, flightless, their wings shredded into ropes, sinews binding them. No one knew. The angels lied the most, sending us epistles of what they saw when they left. Mountains, rivers, green, green, and beyond the green, blue. I remember my grandmother singing me songs about the ocean when I couldn't sleep, a fretful child disturbed by all the lying My grandmother knew I could only survive by learning to tell the same lies. And yet, when the paradox became too heavy to hold, and I was in danger of succumbing to irretrievable despondency, she'd sing me that song. A song like a window. It didn't free me or make me whole, but it made me a little flexible. Able to lie again. This was school. On your much lower level, they drank poisonous homemade whiskey and threw chairs. They kept one another in peculiar forms of sexual bondage, games of power so intricate and self-reflexive they were like labyrinths. Women thought they'd found an escape, a way to stand up to their oppressors, until by a trick of the mirror, they realized with shame and a kind of gloating that it was they who had held the power all along. They who were, in fact, the abusers. The men came to the same realization, as it was with the men. But how could their most personal act not reflect their overall condition? How can the expression of love not become tainted when life is so unhappy, such a gall? Your parents... Your parents took turns hanging each other from the ceiling, inventing new torture's instruments. They murdered often, but threw few bombs to other floors. They always said people should mind their own business, that they had little need for internecine warfare because they were more honest." They looked at their own pain, they said, in all its most dreadful manifestations and acted on it. Secretly, they were terribly ashamed of their abusiveness. They were always having bloody accidents. Bleeding was second nature to them. They didn't read much unless it was pornography, if you call that reading. By middle age, they were covered with scars but they ate with sharpened knives by forty. They each knew someone who had died too young. They knew the cost of unrestrained violence. Their heroes were the denizens of the deepest sub-basement, ruthless in their honesty, furred and murderous, warm and blind. Our grandmothers were our heroines, With scribbled letters of introduction, we crawled, I down, you up, to a dusty landing where we were too tired to do anything but sleepily make love. There was so little to talk about. We didn't share a common language. I mentioned Proust, you talked up Larry Flint. I rhapsodized about Tchaikovsky, you smirked, describing Betty Page, In the morning, we found ourselves making a little culture of our own in the dusty corner of the landing. We didn't know it was new. We'd both had other lovers, or in my case, fiancés, but had become bored. They were so much like us. We woke up in love, charged by our difference. No one had been in love in the building for generations except perhaps our grandmothers. The love of friendship. Paper airplane pen pals. A voice in the dark. How they persisted, in spite of their epistles being intercepted more often than not. Smeared over with the juices of rotting meat. Burned. Dusted with smallpox bacteria. War. The power of love. "'of knitting. "'They both knitted and did needlepoint. "'My grandmother embroidered angels. "'Yours knitted women in flames tied to bed frames. "'Of course, if you looked closely, "'you saw my grandmother's angels were tied, too, also burning. "'Subtly encoded into the overall design, "'she unconsciously knew what she didn't dare speak.' fear of ostracism, of being hurled down the stairs to the rats, the excrement, the violence. You. The downstairs people invented child abuse. The upstairs people invented cancer. These were the gifts they traded when there was trade. We had a dinner. The tablecloth had holes and... Spills of wax and wine stains. You refused to use bleach, explaining its cumulatively toxic effect on the ozone layer. That's why the angel's wings are shredded. They burned, you said, carefully examining one of my grandmother's tapestries. We'd both smuggled treasure to our new colony on the landing. A colony of two. Your people sneered, handing out snuff videos. We'd only invited four of yours and four of mine. My people shrugged. White tablecloths were so important, proving our cleanliness, our purity, our difference from your people. So the angel's wings burned, but What did it matter so long as we could maintain our high opinion of ourselves? You and I blocked off the stairwells, barricaded them. We'd have no more parties. No one understood how wonderful it was, what we'd found, each other, what we were making. A marriage not just between two people, but two worlds. Long dong silver you explained, was just as important as Kafka if artistry is measured by the telling of a truth. I disagreed, sweeping and cleaning again. What's the point of a clean house, you continued, if your mind is dirty, diseased by pain you're too afraid to share except by bombing us? Why do you do that anyway, you asked. More honest than usual, I said, "'If you all die, you won't be there anymore, "'reminding us that we're equally stained "'by the fact of our birth in this castle, "'this fortress, this pain. "'This pain. "'Still, we might have invented cancer and superbacteria, "'but we also invented beauty.' "'I never talk this much,' you said. "'Explain things.' Down there we just tie each other to poles with skipping ropes, cut our names into one another's arms with exacto knives, smear shit on each other's windows. You have windows? I asked, astounded. Actually, we do. It's another lie that the angels have them and we don't. You have mirrors, not windows. I know, I said. But you have real windows? "'Not mirrors?' "'Yes,' he replied. "'Basement windows, looking out on air shafts, driveways, rubble. "'But they're not much use. "'They're encrusted with generations of smeared-on filth. "'We started to laugh, and then we cried. "'And then we planned another dinner party, "'where I told every story of abuse in my family.' "'going back three generations. "'None of them, not one, had ever been told. "'I thought the walls had ears that I'd be tortured for telling. "'Your friend found this hilarious. "'What do you talk about, then?' he asked, "'if not to describe how you got your scars. "'It seems to me your family tortures you just the same, "'whether you tell or keep the silence.' He was staring at my fingers, and I, aghast, realized I'd removed the white gloves I usually wore. "'We cover them up,' I dissembled, with bandages cut from strips of pure white linen napkins. But they still oozed through, fester. "'He was your best friend from boyhood,' He'd taken out one of your eyes, so the skin had closed over it, a seamed lightless aperture, a camera that didn't work. You cut off his right hand to repay. He hadn't been angry. That was the way it was with friends. He'd learned to write with his left. You continued on, secure in how much you meant to one another. You damaged each other so much, how could your relationship not have value? I cried when you told me your stories, and your friend said, Look, under your shoulder blades, these feather-free ligaments, clean as chicken bones, sticking so sharply out of your skin. Who stripped the feathers, but not just the feathers, the flesh? You're supposed to fly. Take the mirrors off the upstairs walls. Walls. Perhaps there are windows beneath them after all. Bring me back something green, something blue. I twitched my bones. They hurt. I'm not one of those people, I cried. They live four, five, six flights above us. They're our heroes. No, he said. You are they, or you were. You've just forgotten. You've decimated yourselves, always looking, always into mirrors and never out of windows. Windows get rusty with disuse. Or crusty. And you, I asked, wanting to know what your people had done that was an equal cultural travesty. We are born with legs, feet, "'but at age six we gnaw them off. "'It ruins our teeth, too,' you said, "'showing me your discolored, stained, broken ones. "'Why do you do that?' I asked. "'Because,' you said. "'If we had feet, we'd want to come upstairs and visit you, "'hoping you'd take us flying. "'We're afraid you'd throw us back down the stairs, "'tell us we're dirty and we smell. "'Play Debussy.' "'It hurts our ears it's so full of lies. "'What's truthful music, then?' I asked. "'And you played me Sex Pistols, Iggy, Muddy Waters, Metallica.' "'We couldn't fly you anywhere. "'Look what we've done to our wings,' I said. "'My best friend had come, too. "'We spilled wine and wax. "'We told stories. "'I was afraid.' telling what my mother had done to me when I was young, sticking sewing pins with colored glass heads under my fingernails, saying over and over again, But look at the beautiful patterns, how they catch and reflect the light. Your fingers are so much more beautiful now. Inuring me to the pain. I didn't know. She didn't know either. That's nothing, your friend laughed. "'My father cut my stomach open, "'disemboweling me when I'd stolen his best magazines. "'And then what?' I asked, trembling. "'How did you survive?' "'My mother pushed the sausages back in, "'sewed me up with dental floss. "'My friend arranged roses in a Lalique vase. "'Your friend, shat on the floor, said, "'Cut flowers, maimed beauty,' Why not leave them grow? We never cut flowers, you explained as my friend screeched at him, cleaning up his mess. Only potted plants, especially in sick rooms. Cut bouquets make people sicker. Live ones share their life. We're much healthier than you, in spite of living in our own shit. We have strong immune systems from constant exposure to bacteria All your children have asthma and juvenile diabetes because of all your Lysol, all your chlorine. Children need to eat a few mud pies so they won't grow up sickly. Ours are so strong they can burrow through walls. But not to outside. Not yet, your friend said. But we think you're all hypocrites. You think if you turn evil into a poem you'll emasculate it. But evil is evil. And you romanticize violence, I said. Pretend it's catharsis, healing. You pretend you don't care what we think of you, but that's all it is, pretense, from people who like to think they're so honest. At least we know lying is lying. Turn it into a civilized parlor game. Worse yet, you romanticize hurtful sexuality. You say it's truthful, even free. And isn't it? It happens, I admitted. But what about the other story? The one about love? Old wine and bouquets of dying roses, coats of fur cut from bleeding animals not yet dead, jewels mined by slaves that buy slavery. Call that romance, your friend demanded. No, not that story, I said. I mean the one we tell here. Live here. You interrupted, touching my shoulder. There's flesh there now, covering the bones. It's because I told the story of the pins. Telling that story, my immune system improved enough for me to grow skin. Post-traumatic stress disorder does wreak havoc on the immune system, you said. But I guess we've all got that, all of us, who live in this building. "'We'll have another party next week,' my friend said. "'And I won't tell. "'They'd torture her again if they knew she was growing her wings back.' "'Bring drums,' she told your friend. "'Teach me to howl.' "'Can I have you against the wall of the lean-to, then?' he asked, "'handsome and dangerous, grinning. "'Does it have William Morris curtains?' ''Where is this lean-to?'' she asked, smiling slyly. ''We'll clean it up first. I'll bring nice pillows from upstairs.'' ''I got pregnant. Our baby has wings, legs. We're too old, too scarred, too beaten to find the way out. But we will protect our children and our friends here in the middle from the murderers both above and below.'' Our parties are bigger now, but no one's allowed in unless they know the password, unless they bring gifts of their heroine's tapestries, share their pain, tell stories in the whiskey night among the dead and living flowers. We play your music, then ours, then yours again. As we talk, I work on a wall hanging. In it, A winged, legged child finds the door. An exit sign, glowing red in the moonlight. The exit sign our grandmothers first dreamed of. Yours and mine.
0: Feedback for Podcastle Episode 63 Yuji Foster's daughter of Baitu, a story that shows us, as A. James put it, you can take the rabbit out of the forest, but you can't take the forest out of the rabbit. Swamp called it proof that new folktales can be written masterfully today. I like how Anyang's innocence is gradually stripped away until she's forced to take charge of her destiny. The stepmother being a fox and seeing her involvement in all of the tragic events in the main character's lives, she was a true classic villain, those darn stepmothers. I also thought there were many insights about family, and also the power, and sometimes fragility, of love. Pinwheel had a different reaction. That she returns to rabbit form because life as a human didn't work out, where does that come from? She hasn't chosen to be a human out of some childish yearning. Her impassioned plea had been to save her mother and grandmother, and that was never returned to. I had expected her to die in the end, or for her to be told her son's death was the sacrifice needed to protect her mother and grandmother. Instead, the story just stopped. LaShawn said, A beautiful story, I can see the lustrous silk clothes on Ying War. I almost wish it was a picture book, even with the darker and bloody latter half of the story. After a couple of folktale complaints, Finch Newton said, Why yes, this is like one of those old folktales, the sort where everything was sorted out in the end by stabbing people. To which DKT responded, Oh wait, that's me. Yeah, okay, I didn't actually post this, but I have to say, if you turned off the story because it was too cute... Well, you really should be over at the pseudopod forums, you sick bastards. There was also some discussion over how regular podcastle stories occasionally run longer than podcastle giants. Listen, let me tell you, the giants do whatever Rachel wants them to, okay? It's pathetic, they show up at the great big drawbridge in the sky waving their clubs, then 10,000 words later from Rachel, they're all blushing and falling over themselves. Giants these days, no dignity. Huh, this feedback section's gotten a little giant, hasn't it? Sorry about that. I promise it's a regular feedback section. And no, don't ask what the word count is. Instead, come on over to our forums at forums.escapeartist.net and let a giant or any regular PodCastle episode know how you really feel about it.
1: PodCastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site.
0: Keith Lehrer said... There is no exit from the circle of one's beliefs.